Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you could fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before I go any further, I have a question. How do queer people brought up in really religious families reconcile their homosexuality with their religious beliefs? I was very lucky to be born into a family that never treated sexuality like it was shameful, but so much of the world are raised to believe that any sex before marriage is sinful and that lesbian sex is unthinkable. And this could lead to so much unnecessary suffering. That's why I was so interested to talk to Candace Zubernod, a lesbian therapist who founded an organization called The Christian Closet, where they counsel people working out their sexual and gender orientation through the lens of a Christian conservative upbringing. You can learn more about Candice at thechristiancloset.com, but before you do, please stick around for the great conversation I had with her here. Candice, thank you so much for joining me and for contributing to this podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. Thank you for having me. So let's just jump right in. Uh, Tell everyone about yourself, about the work you do, and and who you are, and how you got started. So, yeah, so some people get to have their story intersect with their what they might call calling, what they do for a job, what they do for work. Um, And other people don't, they're really separate. And for me, who I am and my Um, life's journey, my story completely uh, has helped create and intersect with what I do for a job. And because of that, I think I'll probably do it for my whole life. I'm not sure that I'll ever retire. I just love it so much um, because I get to journey with people in their lives and I get to listen to their stories when they are most broken. And I also get to see them in their most brave, beautiful, full spaces themselves. Um, And so what I do is really inspirational work. Um, I'm a therapist and I'm a coach and I have a team of 13 other people and we uh, do coaching and counseling online. And so for the last decade, we've been seeing people from all over the world as they work out their um, sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, And a lot of the people that we see who come to us also have a conservative faith background. So I grew up in a Christian family. And so that was a big part of my story, trying to figure out like, oh my gosh, what do I do with not being so straight? (laughs) I identify as gay or lesbian or queer. Um, Because this other really important thing, my faith says that I can't be. And it was devastating. And so realizing in my own story and journey, like, oh, God loves that I'm a big lesbian. Like God is just like so happy and proud and made me this way. And um, I experience my faith uniquely through my queerness. And uh, now I get to help people find that in their own lives. Uh, so it's called The Christian Closet. Um, and it's it's really, yeah, it's exciting work. All of us, I get to hear all of my therapists and coaches say like, I'm doing my dream job. And I'm like, I know, me too. <laughs> that is amazing. And uh, right on, God loves that I'm a big lesbian. Cheers to that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make mugs later. You and I will make mugs. Make mug, for <laughs> sure. I will treasure yeah. that mug. And, and I love the idea of, of helping move people from broken to brave and finding faith through queerness. Yeah. So how did it, 
then get started? Mm. Yeah, it's so I it, when I was in graduate school, I graduated and started a practice and did the like very, you know, ho-hum, I guess not ho-hum, but it feels ho-hum when I think about it. Normal starting a, a therapy practice and I did not like it. I just sort of saw whoever came into my practice, but I was also closeted. Um, and so it's kind of hard to like anything when you're closeted, no, you know, it really is, especially like helping people find them, their authentic selves and find healing when I'm kind of experiencing a lot of pain in my own personal life. Um, and not that my life is perfect by any means as a therapist, we can be going through our own pain and help a lot of people, but there was something really unique about being closeted and the way that, um, that kind of pain is pretty unique. And so, uh, in order for my then girlfriend, my now wife and I to come out, um, she was like, okay, I can do this, but we need to move. And so we left where we were living in Seattle and she got a job in Chicago. Uh, and so we, we came out and I shut my practice down and so for a couple years, I just really like did odd jobs. I went from like being a professional to a nanny and working in a warehouse. And my identity really was like, had shifted from a professional to feeling pretty lost and not sure what I was going to do. Why did you, did you just not feel like you could be a therapist when you were out? Why? Or were you not licensed in Illinois? Yeah, I wasn't licensed um, in Illinois. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a therapist. I, I would just was like, I didn't like it in Seattle. So what, like, why do all that work of getting licensed in Illinois? And it really, it was a strange experience because I was also one of those people who, when I went to college, I was like, what am I going to study? Psychology. Like I'm going to be a therapist. It just so permeates who I am. And so to have such a like mismatch of experience, but I didn't have the insight I have now. Right. Like now I'm like, Oh, I understand why I didn't like it then and why I love it so much now and, and, and how it feels. I, I think I'm pretty good at it. I think I'm really good at it. And I don't know that I'm really good at a lot of things, but I'm, I'm really good at that. And, uh, that feels good, but I didn't know that then. So then we were in Chicago and then she got transferred to LA where we're at now. And, uh, it was through a conversation with my dad and he was like, I have this idea. And he really felt like God had put it on his heart, which is kind of a, a spiritual, interesting thing for me to start an online practice, which a little over a decade ago did not exist. So I thanked him for his idea and I quickly let him on his way because I thought it was a horrible idea. Uh, and it was about six months later and I woke up on the morning of my birthday and I sat up in bed and I looked at Crystal and I was like, holy shit, my dad was right. He just didn't know the LGBT piece and also this idea of faith. And this, and somehow in my sleep, it came together. It was like, ah, oh, of course, that is what I want to do. And of course, it has to be online um, because I want to meet with people who are alone, who are scared to see their car in a therapist parking lot. I want people, I want to see people who are, are nervous to sit in a waiting room because they don't know who's going to walk in. I want to see people who are like in a rural space. They're like, there are no gay people where I live. I want to see people who are like live in the South who are like, all the Christians here are saying that I'm going to hell because I'm gay. Um, and so this has got to be online. So I just kind of started it. I didn't know what would happen. And, um, at the time I also didn't really know many gay people and I definitely didn't know any other people of faith that were gay. So I was like, I don't know, maybe there'll be like a couple, like maybe there'll be a few people and, um, you know, quickly found out that I wasn't so alone. Um, there are a lot of people listening to this who think that they're alone and they're exactly what you described women in those rural communities in far away from anyone else. So to the extent that they might still right this moment be feeling alone, can you describe the kind of numbers that came your way, the kind of response that you got when you started this? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest surprise was um, people internationally. So of course, people from the US, but imagining like, oh my God, I mean, 
the, I remember um, one of the first people that reached out to me was a woman in Afghanistan who was in the military. Um, and for me, it was a woman in Madagascar. Ah, uh, yeah. Like what? what? It's amazing. <laughs> this is so cool. It yeah. really is. It really, really is. Um, it's just so beautiful. Like the internet has a lot of really horrible, hard things about it. Right. But it somehow helps us connect to one another and know like, you know, I'm actually not alone. And even though it even seems I'm alone in my own community, statistically speaking, you probably aren't, uh, that there is someone else that, you know, that shares your story. And it was very true for me, uh, you know, to look back and now hear so many stories of other closeted people, um, trying to figure it out and, and fearing that they'd lose it all, just like I feared I would lose it all. So how are these women finding you and what are you learning about our community through this experience? Like, yeah, what can you tell me about what everyone has in common? Yeah. Well, at, in the beginning, a lot of people found me through blogging. So um, I had a request to blog and I was like, sure, I can do that, even though I didn't know how. And so it was a fun adventure. But that's really how people started to find me. You know, I'd say like, how did you find me? Someone's like, oh, my aunt's cousin sent me one of your blogs. Um, and I don't necessarily think I'm an overly great writer, but I, um, I'm pretty real. And so I think people connected to that. Uh, and now it's just kind of word of mouth that people find me because of my specialty. Um, but the people that come out come, or reach out to us, um, my team of therapists and coaches, they fall into some main categories. So we have a lot of people who are in mixed orientation marriages. So um, a lot of people who, you know, they even told their spouse, they told their husband before they got married, like, oh, I've got this thing, you know, like I used to date women or I've had crushes on girls and, and their soon to be husbands are like, no big deal. I love you. Um, that doesn't change my feelings for you and we can still get married. And they're like, great because they didn't, they weren't in a space of understanding their own sexual orientation. It didn't seem like a conflict, right? So they got married and here they are all these years later feeling really lonely and isolated in their marriages. And so that's a really, really painful thing to go through trying to figure out, am I gay or what's going on in my marriage? And I like women and I'm married to a man and I don't want to be divorced. And just, it's, it's a lot to navigate. Wow. That's, that sounds like a lot for uh, yeah. a couple to, to balance, um, how much of your, like you, that's one of the things you see the most of you'd say, or, um, I would say I'm horrible at statistics. It's, it's not half, but it's a lot. Um, it's, it's a lot of people in that space, um, especially in a religious space because people have been told that in order to honor God, they need to marry someone of the opposite sex the opposite gender. And so, um, in order to try to honor God, they did that. And then, you know, decades later, they're realizing, man, this isn't honoring anybody. This isn't honoring God. This isn't honoring me or my spouse. In fact, it's brought a lot of pain. It takes just amazing courage. These people are just so courageous and deeply honest people. Yeah. What can you share that listeners may not understand or that you think is important for people to realize about people in the situation? Yeah. I mean, I think that they're really honest. Like I said, I, they're, um, the ability to say these kinds of things out loud to another human being, like their spouse, it's, I hope for that kind of courage. I hope for that kind of honesty in my life. There are also people who have created beautiful lives. They're like, they don't hate their spouse. Um, most of the time they have a really great, like best friend relationship. And so there is a big loss. Um, so even if they decide to get divorced, they, they spend time grieving, uh, and missing their straight spouse because they still, they love them just not in a romantic sense. Yeah. If that's your best friend, it's going to be absolutely devastating. It is. It's really devastating. We see a lot of people who are trying to figure out how they can understand their faith in God and still be gay. Um, I don't know if you, have you ever heard of scrupulosity? No, tell me about it. 
So scrupulosity is essentially like a religious OCD. And so intrusive thoughts and feelings that are difficult to control. And um, so it's a little bit like, you know, someone with OCD might be like, oh, my hands are dirty. My hands are dirty. I got to wash my hands. Got to wash my hands. Um, A religious experience of scrupulosity would be like, I'm going to hell. I know God wants me to go to hell. I know if I'm gay, I'm going to hell. And sort of um, a difficulty to not obsess on ideas of basically hell and God hating you and you're sinning and things like that. Oh, it must be so painful. Oh, it is. It is. Um, and really hopeful because I'm like, no, that's that's not the case. That's not what God thinks. That's not even what the Bible says. So one of the first steps is just trying to even get the cerebral right information. Um, and then going from there, you know, just because you know know the right information doesn't mean it just automatically changes things, but it helps. You know, it's interesting about this because it seems from an objective perspective so obvious that that's a wrong belief, but we're all walking around with beliefs that are wrong that hold us back, Yes, that are a little bit less obvious to other, you know what I mean? Mm, that may not be as yeah. obvious. And so for anyone who thought to themselves, you know, even for myself, it's a good reminder that that might seem a little outrageous, but if we take inventory of all the things we believe, we're going to probably find uh, quite a number of them that are no more true than that belief and uh, equally uh, or equally as unhelpful to our own growth and joy and all the things. So, yeah, I love that. That's really insightful. Uh, What are some other things that people are, that you're seeing people come to you with? Yeah. Something that's been, that we've seen a lot of is this idea of like, especially two women coming together and experiencing a uh, drop in desire sexually for one another, um, or painful, um, penetration during sex, uh, fear and pain around going to the doctor. Um, and, um, and so a lot of people who maybe either grew up thinking that sex before marriage was wrong. And so we call that purity culture. There's experience of thinking that sex, especially lesbian sex before marriage is, um, shameful, um, or having had painful experiences sexually. And so their bodies, um, are kind of bracing for that pain and their muscles have remembered that shame and remembered that trauma. And now they're with the, their love and they, they want to enjoy that. Or they just started, started dating for the first time ever and they're excited about it. But it's like they feel all the shame and they're fearful about the pain. And, um, and so really just normalizing that for folks and walking them through um, even just the very practical like here are some things that you can do when you go to the doctor if you're scared of the pain of having the speculum go inside of you, um, which is a really actually normal thing that a lot of women fear who, um, you know, women who haven't been sexually active with men especially. Yeah, I can imagine. And that's definitely something that the queer female community is notorious for feeling afraid of is that drop in sexual desire that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, do you have more to say about that? Can we talk about that? Because I do think that's a, tends to be one of our community fears. Yeah. It was interesting this last year. uh, Like a lot of people I got on TikTok. Have you been on TikTok? I I haven't. No. Okay. Good for you. So I was just like, what's another space that I can try to like give hope to people. And I was like, Oh, TikTok, let's try it. And so I did this, you know, I don't know, 15 second video. Um, and a lot of, it's a controversial name, right? Lesbian, uh, bed death. So a lot of people have conflicting feelings about the language. Um, but for, for quickness, I just said that, right? Let's talk about it. It's a thing it's going on. And, and hundreds of thousands of people saw this video. Um, and there was just so much, so much energy around it. And I mean, it was like, I knew it was a thing. And then, but I didn't realize like, oh, no, no, it's like a huge thing. But is it real or is it a meme that we've bought into that we've made real with our negative beliefs about it? The same way 
where my mantra that I always try and spread through the community is hot lesbians are everywhere. <laughs> because I think that queer women have a tendency to over convince ourselves that we're a minority, it's harder to meet someone, you don't understand, there's no lesbians within 100 miles, or every lesbian that is within 100 miles, they've already dated everyone I know, and there's nobody new, and I'm never going to find anyone for all these reasons. There's absolutely no one for me to find, and I'm never going to find someone. With, like, passion, I mean, I have women, when I start talking about, no, this is a, it's just something we're convincing ourselves of, I mean, I get hateful emails oh my from goodness. people because they're so angry. They're like, no, it really is hard to find someone. Um, but I wonder, is... Because for me personally, my life changed when I changed my belief around that, mm -hmm. when I refused to buy into the scarcity mentality and I forced myself to adopt the new mantra that hot lesbians are everywhere, I became happier, my life became easier and all of that. Could our community become happier and you know, exponentially more sexually satisfied as a whole if we come up with a better belief? Like lesbians have epic sex until the day they die. <laughs> Another mug we should create. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's just about changing our minds, but I do think that it does, it's not going to take a whole lot to make some changes for that to be true. So what are the changes, if you can wave a magic wand and make us all make these changes, what are some changes you think that we could all make um, to combat other than just forgetting the freaking mantra in the beginning, like forgetting the sure. meme in the first place, right? Because I think it's... It is a thing, yes. To, to I don't think it's a thing. I think it's that we believe it's a thing and it's become a thing and we need to stop believing it's a thing to make it not be a thing. But in addition to not believing in it, um, Candace, go. I want to hear all the... How do we, you know, stop <laughs> it on the other the, side? The list. The yeah. list. Yeah, I mean, our minds are incredibly powerful. So what you're saying is not, not true, right? That um, to just begin to say... I think something else is possible and I want something else. And so I'm going to work towards something else um, because I, it, this isn't just an inevitable thing. Um, but the, the first step is to work through any trauma that you have around your body, trauma around um, sex that you have. So I hate that this is true, but um, the, you know, statistically speaking, like the amount of women who have experienced sexual abuse, even, um, even if it was in your childhood is a large percentage of women. And just because you don't think about it doesn't mean it doesn't impact your sexual relationship now as an adult. Isn't it about 25% of the female population? Do you have a statistic around that? Well, one in four. Um, some people say one in three. Yeah. And then when we're in same-sex female relationships, the chances are that at least one of the humans in that relationship will have been sexually abused in some way. That's right. Um, when you talk about working through trauma, that's a, a big, that's, that's a lot, right? That's a, that's a heavy, that's, you know, that's scary. Give me a really And easier scary. said than done in a lot of ways. Are there any resources that you could point towards any books, any thing that you point people towards in terms of working through trauma in that way? Um, I mean, not to do my own horn, but I have a team of therapists that are amazing. Um, I have uh, Rob, he's a sex therapist. And then I also have Molly, who does a form of therapy called EMDR, which is a kind of therapy that is specific to work through trauma. It's a really powerful resource. And for international people who may not have any resources at all and just would love a little tidbit or some sort of anything that might, that might be universally accessible... Yeah. I mean, even the, even the first thing of like finding someone safe and, and telling your story, um, is healing, allowing someone to see you and love you through that, allowing someone to remind you that you, you actually didn't do this, that you're not bad. Um, that even the pleasure you experienced during that horrific thing, because sometimes it's pleasurable, um, and that makes it confusing and challenging to work through was your body's natural response to touch. It doesn't mean that you are some kind of horrible freak. Um, and oh God, there, there are, there are great books. What, what I would suggest because I'm totally blanking on book titles is even just being able to go to Amazon and look at, um, look at some of the ones that you can look at the inside cover of. Um, I know that's kind of a, a really broad, um, way to do it but I don't know why I'm blanking on book titles right now well no worries maybe if you think of any 
before I'm done editing, just send me the information. Oh, perfect. Attach it as uh, show notes. Good idea. Fantastic. Okay, cool. Um, and I think that that's, that's beautiful that the idea that telling your story is healing and finding someone to just to share that with, that's a good first step. Yeah. For anyone who's fortunate enough to have someone they can trust like that in their life. Yeah. It's just, it's so, so powerful to get it out of you. Um, we hold that trauma in ourselves. And so just the very nature of being able to say it out loud is healing. Um, yoga, moving our body in those ways is really healing for our bodies. Um, ah, saying that made me think of a title. The Body Keeps a Score is a great book. Um, but back to this idea of like sex, another thing is redefining what sex is. Even though I think a lot of lesbians would say, obviously it's not penis inside a vagina. We still have, I think, specific constructs around what is sex and um, I would say, what if I love orgasms? What if orgasms are great and we should, and I hope that we have lots of orgasms, but what if sex could also mean other things besides orgasms? Um, what if sex was just about connection and pleasure in addition to that orgasm? And so redefining what intimacy, sexual intimacy is, redefining what sex is, um, being okay with fantasy a lot of people shut down fantasy. They feel bad and guilty. But that fantasy is actually going to help you keep your sex life with whoever you're with uh, going and on fire. Another huge thing that happens with lesbians is uh, sort of like a codependency or a experience of kind of meshing it into kind of one person. And uh, there is nothing that's going to kill sexual desire quicker than that. What advice do you have? I would say don't share shoes. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I've always been kind of glad Crystal and I wear a different size of everything. Um, and we have really different styles, but uh, I digress. I am uh, particularly glad that my partner does wear the same size shoes as I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> Um, it obviously you can share shoes and still have a great sex life. Um, but when you start to not have things outside of one another, when you don't have friends outside of one another, when you don't have hobbies outside of one another, when you start to not have thoughts outside of one another, when you don't have your own clothes outside of one another, when it's like everything becomes so insular and that, that kind of dampens that desire, you need a little bit of difference. You need a little bit of your own self to be able to share and bring to the other person. Um, and so to really work on interdependence, uh, your own sense of self. Uh, so go explore something new. Uh, take a, do a whiskey tasting class, take a woodworking class, take a, um, see what it's like to go jogging. I don't know, something uh, outside of your time with your partner and, uh, see where that might take you. Um, I think that's great advice. Those things are great. Um, a line I always really appreciated uh, that an old mentor once used to say is that your turn on is your own responsibility. Mm, I like that. Yeah, me too. I, I think earlier I said our, our minds are really, really powerful. And to me, that's a, that's a great place to start. In, in your mind. Um, but when what happens is we, we wall it off. So we begin to say like, Oh, I'm thinking about something else or I'm having a fantasy. Nope. Cut that off. Oh, I want to be touched in this certain way, but I feel embarrassed. Cut that off. You know, so there's all these places that we could find arousal and our, you know, this arousal is our own responsibility, but we shut, we shut those places down because we feel bad or shame or whatever. And then we're like, I don't know why, just I'm trying to do this thing of having, you know, my arousal be my own responsibility and all of that, but I just can't. It's like, oh, that's because all the avenues that you could have had, um, you shut down because you feel bad or you feel shame. And so what if we like lifted those and, and allowed you to say the thing that you want, even if it sounds kind of, I don't know, wild or different. 
I really love that the idea that you bring up there, the idea that we all just take a minute and ask ourselves, what are some things that we might really want that we don't allow ourselves to even imagine we want, let alone ask for? Yes. You know, what are we not letting ourselves ask for in every level, right? It's a good question. Mm-hmm. You know, we think we know ourselves better than we do. We think we really understand our entire being and our entire mind, but sometimes it takes stopping and actually asking the question. It doesn't mean the information isn't in there, but it takes stopping and reflecting and allowing ourselves to consider that part of ourselves, you know, for it to really become obvious. So, mm-hmm. It's another reason why therapy is so powerful, because there's uh, a set-aside time every week or every other week or however often you go uh, to simply just say, I'm going to stop and think about my life, and I'm going to stop and think about what's inside of myself. What's my interior, wor- interior, interior world um, made of? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Um, everything else is going so fast, and uh, it's powerful to just stop and ask those questions. Yeah, and that just reminds me of another question I was meaning to ask you before, but you were on a roll, and then I I didn't want to. I, I was listening, and then we moved on to something else. But in terms of therapy, and in terms of people who have experienced severe trauma that isn't yet that hasn't yet been worked on that they haven't yet healed, I can imagine that being in that position where there's um, where it's inhibiting maybe your sex life, other areas of your relationship and your happiness and your joy. And there's so, you know, there's this, you know, where you are versus where you want to be and the distance might seem so great. Um, I can imagine there's a certain amount of like fear and doubt that it would even work. You know, Mm -hmm. is it even going to work? Do people even heal from that stuff? Do you, can you get better? Um, And I just like always, you know, love people who've seen, who've coached people to the other side of healing Mm -hmm. I just love um, if you could just reflect for a minute and promise the people who are listening that you've seen that you've seen it work, that it can work, that there's a formula that works, that people can get to the other side of it just from your own knowing. Mm. Yeah, I, I have a lot of people ask me like, oh, my gosh, are you depressed all the time? Like you have the saddest job ever. You just sit with people in their pain and like every day. <laughs> and I'm like, that does sound really sad, but... I am not sad. Um, I don't. I don't feel like my job is depressing at all, because of exactly what you're saying. It is filled with so much hope. I've been able to travel with so many, so many people to the other side, and not that there's a single destination. I don't mean to say that, but um, towards health more and more every day, and towards healing more and more every day, and because I've gotten to see it so many times and over and over again. Um, when I'm with someone in the midst of a dark place, it doesn't scare me because I, I know where we're headed. I know that we're headed towards uh, that light. And, uh, and so it's, it feels very, very hopeful. And, um, and I've done my own work, right? I've been in a lot of my own therapy. And so I also understand that fear, the fear that um, the fear of the unknown, what's going to happen, what will it be like? What will, what will happen to me to talk about this? And will it even help? And the vulnerability of all of it. Um, but I do assure you, it's, it is so, so good. And it is available. And it can be yours. Yeah. And I think that's a really important message for people who've been hurt in unthinkable ways and who've been through unthinkable things uh, to, to remember this message that there's nothing that happened that uh, is too much. Uh, for for some healing to be available. That's right. Yeah. And this is a tricky thing to try to say because um, I fear what I'm about to say will be taken as like, oh, we're glad that this hard thing happened to you. I'm glad that this trauma happened to you or to me. Um, but what I want to say is like that beautiful meaning can come from it and gifts can come from it. Now, do I wish that it never happened to you or to me or whoever experienced pain or trauma? Yes. Could beauty and gifts come without it? Yes. But, but goodness can come. A lot of the spaces in my life where I have deep, deep joy and goodness have been born out of pain. Um, and so in a sense, some, I get to feel grateful, uh, 
in addition to like pissed off about it and work through it and sad about it. Um, but I also get to feel grateful. It's one of life's greatest contradictions. Yeah. Amazing how that is. Um, we've, we've spent a lot of time kind of talking about certain difficulties that women come to you with. Are there any other, are there like maybe on the other side of the coin, like the flip sides and, you know, exciting, juicy stuff, like just some amazing parts about being a part of our community that, that you see of women coming? Yeah. Well, I mean, the goal of meeting with a therapy or a therapist or a coach is I always tell people the goal is that you eventually break up with me because we want you to get better, right? We want you to get happier and healthier and then you're going to break up with me. That's the goal, even though I'm going to miss you. Um, and so by the time someone is in that space of their life, they're, they're usually transitioning out of their work with me, but I get so many letters, um, from people who are like, Oh, remember that person I was dating? Like we got married and now we're having our first kid and here's a picture of us. And, um, so I get a lot of those messages of, uh, gosh, remember all those times where I cried because I was really lonely and I was really um, unsure if I'd ever find love. And here I am on my wedding day, or here I am. Uh, I never found that person, but I always wanted to be a mom. And so here I am with my son. And uh, so those are really, really good emails and messages to get. Yeah, that must feel really satisfying. Deeply, deeply satisfying. Yes, I feel really, really grateful to get those messages. Yeah. So, um, since I love talking about dating and relationships, do you have any, you know, dating or relationship advice for queer women they may want to share? Yeah, gosh, there's probably a lot of advice out there, right? Um, it's funny because it's been a long time since I dated, but I find dating really exciting. I'm sure it's easy for me to say that, but there, I don't know, there's nothing more exciting than being on that first date and experiencing those sparks and the wonder and the questions and all of that. Um, but I, I really encourage people to try to just like have fun, uh, when you really want it and you're lonely and it's hard and it's vulnerable. I think the idea of fun kind of gets pushed to the side. Um, but even when you're thinking about what should we do for a date? Like, sure. It's okay to just go for a drink or coffee, but I don't know. What if you just were like, something quirky and fun that, that you found interesting. Go, go, still go out to coffee or still go out to that drink, but maybe do a round of mini golf afterwards or um, axe throwing or I don't know. Like, you know, there's a lot of interesting things out there uh, that you could do on a date and, and that bring about a sense of fun. And that sense of fun can be a great way to connect as potential uh you know, someone potentially that you want to date. Yeah, well, not only that, but the energy of fun when someone's having fun, that just makes you more attractive. So the advice to just have fun will make your life better, but it also make you seem way more attractive to, to other women. So I'll second that. That's great. Yeah, it's true. I like that. I haven't thought much about the idea that uh, having fun makes you more attractive, but it really does. You know, I don't know if, if you've ever been walking up to a group of people and there's like a woman just like laughing and is so in her body and just so wildly like allowing herself to experience her joy and laughter. It's intoxicating. It's like, who is that? Because she is freaking hot. Yeah. Everyone wants to hang out with that girl. <laughs> Everybody wants to hang out with her. Yes. And it doesn't matter what she looks like. Uh, it just doesn't. I mean, that's what really attracted me to my wife. The very first time we met, it was actually at this like leadership thing and she was one of the leaders and, and I was a, a new leader. So, um, she was pretending to be this like medicine woman. It was sort of this like funny, it's supposed to be funny. Like, uh, we're bringing you in kind of thing. And she had a stick and like a bandana on her head. And she was like jumping around, making all these noises and just so wild and free. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, like, who is this woman? Like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know I was falling in love in an instant, but I really was. Um, I love that story. When you give advice about helping women make themselves more attractive to others, is there any particular advice you give or does this ever come up? Yeah, I think 
you know, I meet with a lot of women who come off and what they've embraced is this idea of like, you know, I don't really, I don't really care about what I look like, which great. I'm so glad that you feel free to not, you know, be obsessive about what others think about your physical appearance. But oftentimes that kind of language is just masking an insecurity. It's masking pain. It's masking um, a desire to like be able to know how to take care of yourself, but not knowing how to do that. And that feels too vulnerable. And so um, to, to spend some time learning how to take care of yourself, um, it's, being attracted to someone obviously is so much deeper than physical appearance. And also, um, just like seeing a woman who's having a good time and laughing is attractive. It's attractive to meet someone who takes care of themselves, whatever that means. Um, yeah, because if you're not going to take care of yourself, if you're not even going to take care of yourself, are you telling the message that you're worthy of being taken care of by another person? Absolutely. And it, and it shows too, like, wow. Uh, it's like, I, I don't want to be too extreme, but it, you know, may, perhaps like your hair is really, you need to brush your hair. You're like, I don't care about my hair. It's like, oh no, like actually you do, but maybe no one taught you that like here is some nicer conditioner and that's going to help those frizzes go down or it's going to help your curls bounce up and it's going to look really good or um that time of the month where you get a few extra zits like it's okay to not want to wear thick thick makeup but it can be sometimes helpful to like wear a little bit of concealer if you're going out on a date and like maybe a nice like chapstick that um you know highlights your lips it, it doesn't have to be you know, going and spending thousands of dollars on like skin products, but just that amount of care that you took to be like, oh, I'm going to maybe use the nice washcloth to wash my face with. Um, and so my face isn't all blotchy and red because I used the really rough one. Yeah. And just also another really hard, but easy, but hard one is remembering posture, right? Mm. Standing up straighter and hygiene always a really good one. Hygiene. Smell Our amazing. Bodies. Yeah, yes, you want to smell amazing on dates. That's a... <laughs> yes. Smelling good, your breath. Yeah. Um, sometimes what we what happens too is we feel insecure about our bodies and so we wear clothes that are, are really baggy. And um, baggy clothes really don't look great on um, most people. You know, it can be not that, I mean, I have baggy clothes. I'm wearing baggy clothes right now. But if I were to go out on a date, um, you know, I might want to not wear all baggy clothes. Maybe I'll wear baggy pants and like a tighter shirt or a tighter shirt and baggy pants. Like, but if everything you're wearing is trying to hide you, is trying to hide your body because you feel insecure or bad about it, then that's going to come across. Yeah. Or, or that whatever we do wear, that instead of wearing it, as a defense mechanism against having to think about it instead of asking ourselves, you know, what do we feel the best in, you know, what do, what's the look that makes us feel the coolest, the most confident. And instead of avoiding that question altogether and saying, I don't care how I look gently asking the question, how can I be the most me while feeling the most confident? You know, it's worth asking. The answer will be different from everyone. You just said it way better than I did. Thank you for saving me. Yes, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, thank you. No, I think you said it good too. I mean, those are still really important points that, that a lot of times we might be saying we don't really care, but it's coming from a vulnerable place. It really means we don't know. Yeah. We don't know how. Yeah, and if you do feel that way, it's okay. It is scary to say, I don't know this thing that like a lot of girls learned in seventh grade and somehow I didn't learn it and I feel really bad and scared. There's probably um, 79,000 YouTube tutorials yes. of girls <laughs> totally ready to show you exactly how to do that thing. There are a lot of YouTubes. There are now a lot of TikToks. Um, right, I even like... I know it can be intimidating, but like I've gone to like Nordstrom and, and asked someone to help me with my makeup. And I have only had really kind people 
be like, oh my God, yes, I want to show you. Cause I'm like, I, how do you do this thing? And like, what is this and this? I don't understand. Like, um, yeah, I'd be so, lost without makeup counter people. Yeah. Those are amazing humans. They've saved and me they, on so many occasions. Most of them are really kind. And if they're not, you just literally turn around and walk away because they have something else going on. Um, they're usually even trained to be extra nice. So, uh, yeah. And, and this doesn't even apply to only feminine presenting people. There are ways for every gender and every gender presentation to care for our skin. Yes. We're not really talking here about mascara and lipstick at all. Right. No. And in fact, even, you know, as I age, I'm in my forties now, um, it's been a really interesting thing to age and see my body change and realizing that I need different things and wanting to invest differently. Um, instead of just like a bar of soap to wash my face, I'm like, Oh, I actually want to take some time to give my skin what it might need. And so researching that and finding those products that feel good, that smell good, that I like the way that they feel on my face and my neck. And, um, it's given me an opportunity to learn and care for myself in new ways. So it, yeah, it doesn't have to be makeup. <laughs> it is really interesting to age. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that for anyone struggling with aging or gosh, that's so broad, but gentleness, kindness, listen, listen to it. It, it might be showing you that some change needs to happen and that's okay. I'm also really aware of what I take in. So any kind of social media, I, I try to follow people that help me broaden my ideas of beauty that help me. I broaden my ideas of what it means to age. Um, if I'm just unconsciously taking in whatever is in front of me, it's usually going to be younger looking, skittier looking, less wrinkled, all of those kinds of things. And so really purposely going after, like, I want, I want to like take in visual stimulus that shows me there are lots of, uh, ways of being beautiful and lots of ways of being beautiful as I age. And how would someone who wants to take that in go searching for that? Are there keywords that you're using when you're searching for that? Or is it just... I mean, as much as you can think of, you know, I I go even as far as like, I'm looking up different kinds of lingerie and I'm looking, you know, just older women skateboarding. Um, I'm looking up just anything that's coming into my mind. I'm like, I want older women who uh, are moms. Over 40 moms. Okay. I want to, you know, like just whatever those spaces are that, that are coming into my mind, I'm just literally putting those words into the search engine and seeing what comes up. And you know how social media works. You could, you usually go down a little bit of a spiral and find at least a, a few people that you connect with. I love this. This is such a new suggestion. I never would have thought of it. I'm really glad I asked the question. I do want to be mindful of your time because I know that um, we don't want to go too long. But while I just still have you here, is there just anything else that you haven't shared that you just wish all queer women or just all humans in general knew about themselves or about love or life? Or is there just something you wish everyone could take with them? Yeah. Now, I remember there being a lot of a lot, a lot of years of darkness in my life, um, a lot of years of pain. And it felt like it would go on forever. And now um, I realize how big and wide life is. And those places that were so heartbreaking and just felt like they would never end, they do end. And that your life is going to be so broad. And there's going to be so many moments of goodness and, uh, and days and years of goodness too. And so to remember that uh, life is really big and your life will be very big. I love that. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have while I still have you around? Yeah, I think we covered everything. I loved the places that we went. I think that they're deeply meaningful, especially for women, uh, queer women in general. So yeah, I've had such a great conversation and I'm so grateful for your time. Um, So while I still have you, can you let people know where to find you? 
and just, you know, whatever it is that you want to share about what you're offering and how people can go and find out more. Yeah. So on Instagram, I am lesbian therapist. Uh, so people always get a kick out of that name. I'm at thechristiancloset.com. Um, but message me, follow me. I like to share my life as another place where people can see, like, there's a lot of hope out there. And, um, and so even if you're not looking for a therapist, follow me, but, uh, I've got an awesome team of therapists and coaches that want to meet with you. Minimally, we can set up a consultation call and answer any questions you have. So thank you so much, Candice. I really had so much fun during this conversation. I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks. And for all that you do for our community. You're awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. This has been great. So nice meeting you. You too. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this episode, but I'm curious, what of the many things we talked about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. 